Welcome to Thinking Reimagined, produced by Live Abundantly. Live Abundantly is committed to justice, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion for the creation of a global society which respects the rights and well-being of all citizens. We invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com to support our initiatives for women, youth and children. Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for For a better better global society. So if you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining us. We are so glad you're here. And the next um, 30 minutes thereabouts, I believe will be very impactful for you. On this episode of the Think and Reimagine podcast, we're talking about the impact of climate change. And this conversation is on the sideline of the ongoing COP26 in Glasgow. The world is getting warmer um, for obvious reasons. Fossil fuel emissions caused by humans. Um, Our ice caps are melting, the sea levels are rising. We now see more extreme weather events taking place around the world. Call them floods, forest fires, heat waves, these naturally occurring events are being made worse because of the effects of climate change. We're told the past 10 years um, were the warmest on record. And we've seen governments around the world agreeing year in, year out on urgent action that must be taken. So the COP26 event, as you all know, was a global United Nations summit about climate change and how countries are planning to tackle it. Um, That particular summit is ongoing in Scotland. At the time, this is November 8th, right? As of the time of recording this podcast. COP stands for Conference of the Parties and this is the 26th meeting, which is why it's called COP26. And uh, we have followed conversations among world leaders in this regard in the past days. And let me introduce my guest to you on this particular episode, Monica Fatogun is an environmentalist, a green tuber, mean greening. They have to tell us more about that in the course of this conversation. Bumi Obanawu is of the fight against desert encroachment faith. Hello, ladies. Thank you for joining us on this conversation. Let's begin with Monica. So um, for some, the climate conference is, um, the climate conference known as COP seemed like a bunch of aimless talk. For more than 30 years, the UN has held these conferences and the world is still on track for what we now know as a catastrophe. Um, I just want us to begin with a bit of international politics. What are your thoughts about this regard? Um, Just um, perhaps today, or it was yesterday, I can't remember precisely, 
we saw the young female climate activist Greta Thunberg talking about the COP26 being a failure. What are your thoughts about the ongoing global conversations in this regard, particularly the Conference of the Parties? Hi, thank you so much. Uh, thank you to, every, um, to everyone for allowing me to speak on this podium. Honestly, I feel there is a lot of discussion. You know, there's a lot of knowledge, even though we, the majority, we feel not many people know about climate change. But this conference per se have a lot of people, have a lot of dignitaries, the governments that do, I believe they do have an idea about the consequences of climate change, but that would mean, you know, that would mean stopping their money, you know, from flowing. And that is, I think, the bone of and so there's a lot of um, mitigation promises that will reduce. Actually, we are at the verge of this thing has to stop. You know, we have to re we have to get to net zero. But everybody is in talk. It's kind of beating around the bush about how they would reduce this, how they would reduce that. But I want to take history into into perspective. What everybody has done, you know, we'll reduce by this amount, by that amount, but been no change, and that's why uh, twenty six is seen as critical. We as environmentalists, a large portion of our thought process, we have to be optimistic. So we are always hoping for the best that, you know, come to terms with the fact that climate change is a serious global threat to our e economy, to our, to our landscape, to everything. So there is a part of us that, you know, wants, uh, wants to be optimistic that they are taking us, they are taking this seriously. Um, there are a lot. There were a lot of conversations made. Like I know, um, I know the president. I think the president of the Galapagos Islands decided to add sixty thousand square meters more to the protected area. So that's what I, a lot of we as people just hope it is going to be taken ser seriously because in the not much has been done. As an activist that attacked this uh, Shell CEO about what he's doing, where he's just greenwashing, but he's actually, you know, you know, people are coming forward. So it's our hope that it will be taken seriously because that's what environmentalists have to be. That is optimistic. Other than that, like we're not gonna win this war if we keep thinking that it's not nobody's listening. But yeah, history has shown that. People are not listening, but we have to keep up the faith, you know. I'm going to ask Bumi if she shares in your optimism, particularly with regard uh, with the Paris Agreement and how we've seen it turn out after many years. Um, Bumi, the debate is on whether mm -hmm. global climate talks are really an effective method of pushing for change and um, ultimately reducing emissions. Do, do you share Monica's optimism in this regard? Well, I have to. If not, the planet is doomed, isn't it? Um, yes, so on one hand, there is hope and we are optimistic that if we keep um, pushing on, if the government keep to their words, all these wonderful things, we can see change. 
But like Monica said, we've seen how, if you look at the Paris Agreement was signed when back in 2015, thereabouts. And since then, there's been some progress. But if you take a look or over, overall look at everything, it hasn't been the most successful in terms of the actions, right? Um, so we're still going back. We push for two, then we go to 1.5. You know, we keep changing, shifting the bar. And governments keep with their NDCs, they keep making promises, promises that we have seen that when money is involved, those promises cannot really be, be fulfilled. Um, we know here even in Nigeria, we had back then 2030, we did the 2020, then we shifted it now to 2030, and this is 2021. We're like, it, it will take in 10 years, you have to start from now to see the plans in place that will make you get to net zero by 2050 or to get to this by 2020, 2030. It's, you can't just put out all these numbers. So Greta, I admire her courage and she is right. We are seeing the same promises, the same promises where you say, oh, we're committing so, so, so billions, so, so trillion. Who is following the money? Who is seeing what that impact is getting? We want to see real change, right? We want to see you say that, okay, we've cut down the number of um, fuel run cars by 50%, especially the big countries since we're talking on a global scale now, right? You can do it. You have the resources to do it. And you're causing the biggest problem. Want to see you say that Shell has cut down production by so-so-so amounts. They can go into clean energy. We want to see that drastic move. If you say that you understand the importance of climate change, you understand the severity of climate change, then we need the action to back up that understanding. If your house is on fire, there's an urgency at which you act. You're not sitting down making a plan. Okay, let's make a five-year plan. When would we get water? When would, how many people do we need? There are things that, there's an urgency you put into carrying out those actions. We aren't seeing that. We're hearing the words, but we're not really seeing that. And unfortunately, it has to come from the top. There's so much that the people on the ground, grassroots level can do. So I love the protests that the young people are getting involved in. I love the fact that they're speaking out. We have so many amazing organizations led by young people that are trying to make a difference, but we need more to make this thing a grand scale level, we need more. If we're going to get to net zero, <laughs> we need to cut down emission. How are we going to do that? We need to talk to the big guys. We need to hear them. So um, I've been following, I haven't followed COP26 as much as I did the previous COPs, just cause I've been very preoccupied and I'm not as motivated to do so, sadly. Um, but yeah, but I've seen again that nothing, I'm, it's going to end in a few days on the 12th of um, November, right? And I'm not getting any sense that it is going to be that change that we desire, that they are all going to understand that, you know what? Um, under the underdeveloped countries are going to need a lot more support financially to ensure that they are well protected by the time the effect hits them. The developed countries are going to do a lot more than they are doing now. A few countries are doing well, but it's more, we need more than you committing 60,000 square meters to plant more trees. Yeah, that's great. We appreciate that. But we need you to say, we're giving these people deadlines. We're giving the big um, um, energy generating companies, particularly our oil companies, they have deadlines because the nation is going, we're, we're cutting our fossil well, and we need you to do that. So by so-so-so time, you need to cut production by so-so much. We need those very big words. We don't just need promises. We need those big actions. You need to hit it where it really matters. 
So um yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I went on, but yeah, it really gets me, and um, it's a bit annoying that we know what can be done. I understand the politics. It's not as easy as just saying tell them. But we see how you shut down other things. We see how countries kill businesses like big Bitcoin. Not not to get political, but you can make laws, and it will change an entire sector in one day, in a few weeks. You can do that. So what's stopping you? that Bobby saying that it's important that we begin to match our words with action. Monica, let me get your reaction to this very quickly. Uh, we're hearing that um, there's, there's been quite a number of commitments. Even our own president was talking about 2060 and achieving the net zero in areas of emission. Um, the challenge, however, is that he's considering, you know, that Nigeria should uh, begin to need some funding in the area of gas evolution. Um, sadly, our um, budget is still largely dependent on, you know, the full money. And um, even the gas that Mr. President is talking about is becoming more expensive by the day. So many people are foreseeing that quite a number of Nigerians might get back to the use of coal in a matter of time. But we've also been told that developing countries aren't really the big elephant in the room. They are not the one really causing the huge damage, but they seem to be at the receiving end. But do you think it is realistic to have every nation have the same year, um, the same the same year as a goal? We hear in India is talking about 2070, uh, Nigeria is talking about 2060. How effective do you think all of these targets and goals are, uh, particularly aftermath this conference? Uh, so I think this goes back to the urgency of the matter. And to be honest, 2070 is really far. If scientists are saying we have 10 more years, actually, I think it has been reducing. The report came out in 20, if I'm not mistaken, so like six to eight years more left before we can do anything to the global average temperature. So if you're saying someone wants to cut down by 2060, 2070, it is not motivating. You have reports saying that, listen, we have to do this by this time. We have to make drastic changes. Actually, we have been chiming in and talking about it for talking about climate change and its impacts for years. But human nature makes us scramble when the issue, you know, you have issues happening, you have wildfires happening or floods in European countries. That's when everybody wants to come together and scramble and say, oh, let's do something. But it's surprising that, it's surprising that even though the reports are mentioning, uh, you know, we have just six years, 10 years to make a change, you still have people saying 2060, 2070. Are we going to, are we going to really, is the earth really, planet really going to survive by that time? Won't, um, if you wanna be reducing pollution then, is, is that an appropriate time though? It's, so it's, it's what is, I'm saying is demotivating when you have, you have a lot of reports, you have thousands of scientists coming together and chiming in, you have climate activists coming together, telling you what exactly needs to be done. And it's not just them saying it, it's also with proof. 
It's also with data. And there you are sitting saying 2060. So yeah, I, 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 I really feel the future is a bit, if you have people giving deadlines that are way ahead of the right time to actually do something because 2070, yeah, you might go down zero, but that might be a wrong time because this is the crucial moment where we we can at least stabilize the global temperature. After six years, six to eight years, it's gonna reach a it's gonna reach a high degree where we can't even change it at all. So whether you're reducing it by twenty seventy, I I feel it might not matter. So. Yeah, I, I want to, I think I want to remain optimistic, but yeah, hearing what you are saying, I, but that is exactly how I feel at the, you know, right now, hearing that it's a, it's a bit, it's a bit unfortunate and it's sad and I can see why climate activists are just, you know, people, we, we, the people, we just feel, we feel deflated because We've done everything, the whole assignment. We've presented the food on the platter, on a platter to you. Do something, and the result is just not what. Absolutely, I agree with you. Greta did mention that the conference itself has become more of a PR than having conversations that can improve um, um, the environment, as it were. But let me come to you, Bumi. Let's talk about um, the kind of um, urgency that um, scientists are talking about, that um, activists like you are emphasizing. Uh, when you come back home, do you feel that sense of urgency, particularly uh, how human activities are beginning to alter you know, climatic conditions, the issues of emission of greenhouse gases from vehicles, burning of hydrocarbon products, deforestation, which I believe that you are particularly um, concerned about industrial emissions and the rest. Um, we hear most of these issues on TV, but I doubt if we're beginning to, you know, talk to young people about them and um, begin to prioritize them, even though I know that Nigeria has okay. some very fantastic um, policies in that regard. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with Nigeria, we have a lot of issues. I'm back. Okay, I'm not sure if you heard anything I was saying initially, but talking about Nigeria, bringing it home to Africa and particularly to Nigeria, because we have so much that we need to address, sometimes climate change, the urgency of it is almost, it's like, mm, I have so much issues I'm trying to, we're facing hunger, we're facing lack of electricity. So when you talk about energy, um, efficiency, you talk about clean energy, there's barely light anyway. So where are we going to get these things? Like you talk about alternative alternative sources of energy. I don't even have the primary source of energy in the first place. So there are a lot of issues that, then we talk about poverty. People are like, well, I barely have money to buy food. But what people fail to understand is all these issues are only going to be intensified because of climate change. So here we have issues of, um, of headsmen clashes. I always use that as an example because it's, it shows clearly how climate change can exacerbate problems. 
So why are they moving? They're moving because they can't feed their animals anymore. The, the, they are, they've lost greenery, they've lost fertile land, they can't plant. We have farmers that are migrating and they're looking for other sources of income. So they move to greener pastures. Now, if we had helped prevent that from happening, it wouldn't lead to this. So what people fail to understand is climate change affects every sector, every aspect. If we fix electricity, for example, if we get electricity to the rural areas, start with that then they will not need to cut down as many trees as they are cutting down to generate firewood and not just getting it to them, getting it at an affordable rate. So there are so many things that it's interlinked. So when I want to talk about climate change, particularly in our community, in our society, it can be separate from the bigger picture. You know, it can be separate from helping people understand that if we have better drainage system, then when flooding comes, it will reduce the um, severity of it because the water will pass but flooding will come because the sea levels are rising. So there's a link between the fact that we are very underdeveloped. And if we don't improve the infrastructure, we would be worse off when the climate, when they already come in the effects, but when the effects intensifies. And that is what Monica was saying about having targets. Understandably, you might not be able to hit 2030. But if they are telling you that by 2030, you need to reduce by 45% from your 2010 levels, if not, it might be impossible to make any difference again, then you understand that you don't have the luxury of time. So what can you do by 2030? There's so much, you can, it's 10 years. 10 years is not a long time if you break it down to all the things that you need to do. So to answer your question, when we come down to Nigeria and we promise this, we can't, we can't solve climate change problems without solving our underlying issue of development. If we don't develop, we would, we would suffer through those issues. If we don't develop and find better storage for our food, when the famine hits, because it will hit, droughts, our rains will come, it's, the weather patterns are already changing. Sometimes we have more rain, sometimes we have less rain, sometimes the weather is hotter, sometimes it's less. Right now I'm in Asaba and I sometimes attend um, the Yam Festival. And the Yam Festival, Back many, a few, not many, few years ago, it used to be around August, you know, and around that time. But now it's like September, October, because the yams are not coming as early as they used to anymore. So they've had to change their tradition, the festival that they hold at a certain time. And people are like, but why? But if we had better storage, better irrigation system, then you're better prepared to meet the effects of climate change right in the middle. So on one hand, you're trying to, um, so I guess that's where mitigation and adaptation comes in. So you're trying to mitigate, but you also have to try to adapt. If not, the, the two have to work together, particularly in our environment. I agree with you, Bumi, that um, it's important that we begin to identify the core of the challenges, particularly when you talk about the farmer headers crisis. You know, when we look at it, we don't we don't look at it from the angle of climate change. The yes. issue of flooding in Nigeria, the how it's affecting crop yield, how people are losing their jobs. You know, the issue of you know health crisis, for instance, even yeah. power. You know, most of our yes. electricity is gotten from mm -hmm. water. Uh, let's talk about uh, Monica. Let's talk about the role the young people can play. I think it's a fantastic job you're doing on YouTube, um, trying to educate people in this regard. Uh, talk to us about your inspiration and how you think young people can join, you know, in this um, 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 need to begin to advocate and carry more people along. Thank you very much. Um, so actually, as 
you know, after studying environmental science and working in the field for such a long time, I, I was working at a nature park in Lagos and had coming in and nature park was um, preserving 20 hectares of beautiful natural forests. So, you know, we had visitors that would just come and clueless about, okay, what am I because their view was just, you know, how is it not the political significance of having that, that greenery? So, you know, being a passionate environmentalist, that used to really get a lot of and I get very How do people understand? So, I, you know, it, it just, the fact that many really don't know this thing. And because these people are not. I mean, I would always see school children coming to Lufasi and they are mesmerized. Some of them have not seen a goat before or they don't understand the difference or rabbit or just greenery, you know. And that made me, that made me think twice. And then I went to the climate reality program in the U.S. and meet, meeting Al Gore and hearing what he has to say, say and it was in a panel discussion with a New York columnist and we can't just be posting and retweeting and you have aggressive, you know, time of posting and in but it's not enough. And that is what made me think of the mean green. So it yeah, but have to be a mean green like you can't just be talking about green stuff you have to practice what you preach so the platform the youtube platform like an educative practical platform where i have i give local locations to um just individually starting up perfectly as an environment there it is taking care of indoor plants or recycling. I show people how I do my recycling and, you know, give them an idea and contact that um, on composting. So I let people know, I know it might not be, it might, it might not be an ideal topic so, um, um, location we're at, but I just feel People have to know, and I have to do my part. Yes, I, I, I I'm as an the exposure, I get the opportunity to countries and all, but not can. So what can others do imperfectly? Just, just start because everybody's waiting for the government, not knowing that most of the movements in our world started with individuals. Look at Greta Thunberg, how it started, or. In, in, in Africa itself with Nakate being a climate activist and how the government stood up and they are, and, and now it has amounted to this where they are taking charge. They are to conferences and they are speaking up. So people tend to forget that it is, it's up individuals. And that is why the, the platform, I created that, um, that platform that, you know what? Yes, the government are at fault, but you also, minutest sorry you can just contribute you can just do something 
and you can you have you don't have to be a perfect environmentalist nobody is perfect as much as i you, i'm not zero plastic but i'm doing what i can and i think if everybody just does a little something it, it will amount it will that it will amount even other people are not doing it you inspire you start to inspire i know friends that have gone into recycling i see their plastic and i'm up also that oh you know what i will contact these people so i have like friends that are and that is a sign that is really so i don't know if the issue is with my network um, appeared that your audio was breaking. Was that just me? Oh, okay. Uh, was that every? every... Your, yours is breaking too. Um, oh, mine is breaking I, as well. Yeah, both of those at some point. It must be the climate that is affecting the network. Perhaps. <laughs> it's all right. So, but I, I, I still made sense from what you said. I hope that we got it completely on recording. And I salute your courage to venture into the, that segment, which is not as popular. Everyone on YouTube is doing entertainment and the rest. Uh, and they're after the numbers. Well, don't worry, I have subscribed now. I'm sure that more people will subscribe in due time. Um, Bumi, let's talk about your work at the fight against um, the desert encroachment. So you said you are currently yeah. in Nasaba, right? Yes, yes, I am. Um, yes, so Lagos. we have a couple of projects across Nigeria. Okay, okay, beautiful. I just wanted to say that... Um, you're likely to see more forests in Asaba than in Lagos. Um, I live in a place and we were so <laughs> lucky to have this, um, this forest behind us. And I stay upstairs, the air is so cool at night. I mean, it's not a typical, you know, Lagos. Until recently, yeah. I just saw some bulldozers oh, no. entering oh, into the no. woods, cutting our precious forest and then I'm, I'm told now that they are planning to plant, you know, uh, houses in that region. Of course. Talk to us about um, um, how important these things are, particularly as we begin to embrace commercialization. You know, everybody's talking about real estate. Everybody wants to buy land, wants to build houses. Uh, is it important also that we begin to talk about reserving nature? And um, what does it really mean? Perhaps people don't really understand, you know, why things like this should be preserved. Yeah. Um, so the story you just told is very common with pretty much a lot of real estate development. I and mean, in fact, with Fade Africa, we have this weekly um, column on Sun newspaper. And I think it was two weeks ago, there was this article we published and it was titled, um, If the Concrete... The, uh, what? Forgotten my title. If the concrete, um, if the concrete grows, maybe trees and shrubs grow with it, right? So it was basically talking about what you just said, and how sometimes it almost feels like 
environmentalists are against development, which is in the which is not the case because we understand the importance of development and the place. We understand that shelter is key in development and it's one of basic human rights. People need a place to stay. People need a place to find, to be, people need homes. So that's important. But now the question is there should be a balance. These things can coexist. It shouldn't be either or. So we tell people, you come into a space and you say a lot of greenery. What blows my mind, particularly in Lagos, you wipe out the entire thing and then you plant artificial plants. I'm like, what's the sense behind that? Why not? But we all, you, I don't know how many people have seen like drawings. You start with a drawing. So you know you've mapped out the um, layout of the land. You know where everything is going to be sited. Why not build around it? So one thing we do here, um, so we're also involved, we work with a organizations that are involved in some real estate and one thing we're very big on because we help the planting and all is retain as much as the natural um, habitat as you can because unfortunately once you cut down certain trees you release all the stored carbon that they have helped you store from time immemorial at least to some extent so it's important to retain what is existing so the message we try to pass across and back to you when you said should we begin it's too late to be beginning this is something that we should already be talking about. And that is green spaces and houses. And it's even in the constitution. Well, at least I know that it's in Lagos land um, law where you're supposed to have a certain amount of green spaces in your compound. Of course, nobody really abides by that and it's not implemented, but it is there and it is advised. And you see this in a lot of developed spaces where you can't just have all concrete and then you have one tiny plant that you put there barely even taken care of because he dies all the time you know and when people understand the importance like where I am where Nelson Mandela gardens right and every morning I come out I can take a walk around the park and it's beautiful if I'm stressed at the end of the day I take a walk around and I, I am not even trying to just sell green spaces right but it's there's a load that it lifts off you and you just you can breathe in clean air Lagos particularly is so polluted. We need green spaces. We need more urban parks. People should plant trees, if for nothing else, so that you can, to some extent, clean the air that comes around your um, houses, right? So talking about real estate and um, environment, there needs to be a big conversation that we should have with developers. You can have your business, you can maximize profits and still maintain as much green spaces as possible. And the government has to be put in place areas where you can't cut down because they should be reserved. We should have green spaces reserved that no matter how much that land appreciates, you cannot cut it down because that is the purpose for that space to just be green. We need a lot of that. You're right, Lagos, Asaba, well, for now, maybe it's because people are, they don't have as many people as Lagos. So sometimes I try not to, I try not to be overly, um, optimistic about areas because we've seen that with development, particularly when it is not planned from the very beginning, um, it always is sacrificed. Um, the climate is sacrificed. Green spaces are sacrificed for development, which is, shouldn't be the case. Green spaces are part of development. Like you go to developed countries, that's a big deal. So if we're trying to copy, if we're trying to um, you know, take in what they have, then we should understand that if green spaces are important there, it's because it's important everywhere. So I hope you did something more than just feel sad. I hope you went to talk to them to not bulldoze those trees. That's part of you. That's part of what young people can do. We can talk. Yeah. In fact, um, sorry to just to add, there was this time along body lawn, 
this was way back then, a few years ago, they were cutting down trees. And what we had done at the time, we organized a vigil and we went there to sit in front of a lot of those trees and say, except you're willing to cut us down, you are not cutting these trees. And it was. Well, we had to come to a compromise because I think they were trying to expand, maybe dig some drainages, but it worked. And we maintained at least close to 70% of those trees. So yeah, you can do something like that. Go sit there, do a sit out <laughs> and prevent them from cutting more trees. Yeah, well, maybe I'll listen to this podcast again and be inspired <laughs> <laughs> to do that. Uh, Monica wants to say something. Yeah. You need to unmute your mic. Okay, yeah, I can hear so you. Another, another aspect is changing, changing how we design our buildings. So yes, as it is, um, as it is, it's really important to develop, but we have, with the trying times, we have to change the way we develop. We, we know that uh, there is a, you know, the buildings themselves add a lot of like pollution to our already existing polluted spaces. And that is why um, developed countries or other places, they, make use of biophilic designs. And these are interior, um, these are designs where, where nature is used. That's why if you go inside a building, you can see them building around a tree or there is a lot of greenery or you have, fol you know, you have foliage that is incorporated into your designs. The type of paint that is used has um, it, compared to normal paints is much eco-friendly. We have to change how we how we develop our spaces. Green spaces must be there, but if you're even building, you have to make it more eco-friendly so that at least that is not even adding to the problem that we are already trying to eradicate with the um, with the green spaces. So I just wanted to add that. And your story for me reminded me, um, there's this uh, Chipko move, that's why I think the Chipko movement started where the, um, there is a village in India. Um, I'm sorry, there's a tribe, the Bishnoi tribe. While the, while the men went to work, I think they were uh, the part of the government came with their bulldozers and they wanted to cut down these sacred trees. And this was in the 1970s and about 383 women went to hug these trees. But unfortunately, they were killed along the trees. That's what around trees, like what where it became a phenomenon right now, like tribes or you want to go and kill their, I, I, I remember reading about them and I was enthralled by how they are not per se very educated or, you know, world but they did understand the importance of nature and they are fiercely very, very protective, even till Indeed. Let me stay with you for a bit, Monica. I, I, I hear you talk about, um, talk a lot about indoor plants. Is that also an alternative that can be explored in urbanized areas like Lagos? So, yes, you know, it's kind of what I say. Lagos as a city has been overpopulated by buildings. They, even though we say plants trees, 
thing is that was the solution but now that it it is it is not not a viable solution right now because of the amount of have the second option which is trying as much as possible to have a lot of foliage in your indoor space now the nasa nasa even made a list of plants that you have to keep in your house the benzene that is emitted from your house or the formaldehyde, all these toxic pollutants that kill 90% of our lives, we are always. So, why that echo? You are already exposing yourself to varnishings that you build your house and you inhale that daily. So, these plants, um, like the snake plant, like you have the spider plant kind of plants there are some that provide oxygen more oxygen at night there are some that take away pollutants from your living spaces so that is one of reasons to have indoor plants there's also the benefits of how it uh, elevates your mood that is why when you go to a forest or you're near plants there's a sense of calm you feel because you have the power to use your strengths and that has effect of uh, preventing um, preventing cancer but most of all it's it's known for its mood boosting properties so that is one of the reasons why indoor plants are are going to be highly beneficial not false ones that are just made out of plastic you no know, like real <laughs> so the find out which plants works in your home like you have some that are non fussy yeah, like plants, but many benefits. If you have the best, which I do is like, the best thing is if you see a window, put, try and place your plant near that window, near that window, whether you have a nice shelf. And I mean, you even have some plants that they are not, they are not fussy at all. Like, yep. And, I don't want to go much into plants, but <laughs> and I think that like, right now that Lagos does not have any green, so-called green space to plant. <laughs> Individuals that can't plant, I mean, keep indoor plants. It helps, helps the environment. It helps your health. So I'm not there mm. to... So and uh, even if you don't want to keep indoor plants, at yes. least you have a balcony, at least you have some sort of a compound or you have, so there are spaces you can still put some <laughs> greenery in. So they're like, there's no excuse. <laughs> Everywhere is not like a supper. <laughs> no, but you have a bio, nobody's going to come and, one thing you can be sure is at least no one is coming to steal your snake plant or your aloe vera, <laughs> you know, so you can put it, you can put something outside your environment awesome. that would still encourage um, you to have the benefits of green spaces. But yes, it is important. I agree with you. I'm thinking that we'll have to continue this conversation. Um, perhaps... Um, I don't think the network is doing justice. I'm hoping that um, our recording would have um, would really have a smooth um, a smooth record of everything you have said. Um, of course, um, we talked about green spaces, and time you wonder 
and what politicians see when they travel out of this country. Because um, many of the developed cities we mentioned earlier are developed in such a way that there are green spaces planned yeah. with them. Um, unfortunately, we haven't seen much of that in this part. And I'm just being told now that um, Gambia has been recognized by the World Economic Forum um, for its effort at tackling climate change, perhaps the only country in the world achieving uh, the goals. Uh, and bear in mind, we're less than 10 years to the you know, 2030 goals that we've all been talking about. Ladies, I must say a big thank you to you. I'm just going to ask for a final thought on this particular topic. Uh, and I want you to speak from your heart. Uh, um, Bumi, you talked about what we all can do as our own beat to ensure that um, government and people comply. I think it begins with education. You know, uh, Monica, talk, um, I mean, Monica talked about um, the importance of indoor plants. People would rather buy pets than buy plants. It's, it's because they don't know, they don't, they don't really appreciate what it does. Many people see it as mere aesthetics. Oh, greenery, oh, it's so lovely. But they don't even understand you know, deeply what it means and the importance to their own health, uh, so to speak. So let me begin with you, Bumi. What are your final thoughts in this regard? Uh, particularly, I wanted to speak to the need for more people to be in the know, you know, yeah. in Nigeria. Yeah, um, like you said, pretty much hit the nail on the head. There needs to be more education. Um, and this isn't just on the part of the government, you know, this is also on the part of individuals, this is on the part of um, civil societies, you know, different schools. Um, so sometimes when we go to schools, we try to set up like conservation clubs, right, so that young people are educated, there needs to be an intense um, system of education that goes out to let people understand, even down to farmers, you know, understanding that. So Monica talked about we need to change the way we develop. And, that's, and that doesn't just apply to buildings, it applies to how we farm, how we, a lot of things that we do now, we need to change to adapt to our present um, situation. So we need to go back to the times of shifting cultivation because we need to give the land more space to just breathe and you know um, recover from all the tension that it has gone through. We need to to talk about little things like now more than ever, the reason why you shouldn't litter isn't just because of the aesthetics of it, which is important, but also because the plastics and all of this thing clogs the drainage. And when we get more rains than usual, it will lead to a lot more flooding than usual. So there needs to be a way where we can send the message in a language that people understand. And I just don't mean in terms of the maybe English Yoruba, but even making it so understandable that they can relate it to their own day-to-day -day life. So we need to package it in that way. Honestly speaking, if people can relate to your message, they wouldn't understand it and they would not believe it or run with it. But if they can relate to it, then they will run with it. So there's a need for education. And with that, like I said, we don't necessarily need the government to be involved in everything. They, they do try. Once in a while, I see others here and there that talk about little things, you know, about climate change because they want to show that they're doing something. But even as individuals, we can talk to friends. We can talk to... <laughs> it's funny, there's a joke I have with my mom because growing up then, I've always hated litter, you know, all of that. So when I'm in the car, 
and we buy things on the, you know, forecast and stuff, stuff. And then she puts down the window and wants to throw it out. I'm like, mommy, why now? She's like, ah, look, now there are a lot of other debts there. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just adding to the one that is there. I'm not creating new. So I used to be so against it. And the older I got, you know, the more I could, you know, articulate why this is wrong. So now when I'm in the car and she wants to like, okay, fine, but is in the car, you know, so she, I like, leave it in the car now. When we get home, then you can take it and put it in the bin. Then it does be at home. You don't have to throw it out. So little things like that. I can't be in the car with you and you take down the window and throw some. What are you, what? Never, that can't happen. Uh, we'll stop and go back to pick it up. So little things like that we can start to do. And then we can push for better policies. We as consumers, for example, can start to demand better. Um, so we can start to demand less packaging. Have you seen the amount of nylon and paper they used to package some of our things? We don't need all of that. We can start to demand for less packaging and go for products that probably have put in more thoughts um, around sustainability sustainable um, processes. That way there's a demand for that. And you know, people will go where the money is. So when they see that there's a demand for sustainability in our processes, in our packaging, in our product design, then more people will do that. So there's also an onus on us to, to demand for that. And we can use our purchasing power to get that. So I, I sometimes try to, I'm not like, I'm not plastic. I'm not, I still have a bottle of plastic bottle here and there, but as much as possible, I try to reuse these things. Um, I try, I don't use straws because there's really no points. As long as I clean the um, bottle and I clean the mouth of it, I'm fine. I didn't need a straw. I can rather use a glass cup. Um, I don't really like using disposable cups as much as possible. I, I try not to. I can, I'd rather drink from the bottle or, you know, go, if I can, I'll only maybe do it if I cannot maybe go with my own bottle or get another, a glass cup or something. So yeah, those things we can do. And it sounds, it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you start to do it, let the next person beside you be inspired by what you're doing. And that's how, the, that's how we create a ripple effect. Okay, let's have your final thoughts on this. Okay, so I I believe everybody is um, how they can contribute because there are some people when you speak to them and they want they want to do what they can but they are feel they do and the truth is that we have so much power in our hands because we have. We are in the digital era where on the web. So whether Instagram or other, uh, you use other social handles, try and follow, try and follow other that give you an idea on how you can be more eco-friendly. We have to see perfectly. What I always people, are, I don't know, I don't know. Just start small, even if you don't. And I feel people are not interested because they think it does not, it's not going to affect them. It's not about them. But the sooner you realize that it's all about us, it's going to affect us one way or the other. That changes your perspective. Like, okay, so, okay, what, what can I do on my part? Yes, we know the government is there, but everything's kind of one way or the other starts with starts with what we what what we can do 
So that's what I even speak about on my channel where, you know, you don't have to be a perfect environmentalist. Nobody really is. They just start from somewhere. So you need people to speak up about this more to teach. And I feel there are, there are resources. Everybody's speaking about it. It's just, it's just about interest. And that comes from the, the fact that people are not knowledgeable to us or not. So I, I would just say to be honestly perfectly and follow social media, whether it is um, plant whether it is not geo, just follow something so that you get more insight, more information because I'm sure everybody, most people are on Instagram. So you can just add that uh, to, a to a resource you follow so that you get more information. Absolutely, Monica. I've put on my video, I think that the network got bad. Um, change begins with informed individuals. And I believe that someone who's listening or watching this one will know that um, climate change indeed is slowing down economic growth around the world, even in Nigeria, because it affects um, multiple economic sectors that are sensitive to climate changes. In this conversation, we've talked about the issue of the headers, uh, farmers conflict, the rising flooding situation in Nigeria. Um, and beyond just having this talk, there must be a continuous public awareness campaign um, to ensure that everyone is on the same page in this regard. Teachers must teach children environmental education in schools to empower them early about the dangers of climate change. Not everyone would grow up like Bumi, who, you know, just have this thing for a higher environment. Some of us have to be taught not to, you know, <laughs> not to not to damage or pollute our environment. A big thank you to Bumi of Banau. Is that how to pronounce it? Um, yes, you're very close. It's Bumi of Banau, so yeah. Obanao. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much for me for your time on uh, this Thanks conversation. Good to see you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. That's a show today, guys. Thanks for being a part of it. Ladies and guys, before Dr. Hammer has my hand. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. See you again some other time. I hope that you join us uh, for subsequent conversations in this light. I am Mifemi Oguntoye. See you on the next one. Thank you for listening to Thinking Reimagined. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast and welcome your comments, insights, and learnings as we strive to transform our global society. A change in mindset, engagement, collaboration, dialogue, awareness, and education. Thinking Reimagined. Changing the mindset for a better global society. society.